Welcome back, everybody, to Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. appreciate you checking out the show. I'm joined, as always, by Parker Hurley. Parker, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's about to get really cold here in Pittsburgh, so uh, I'm, I'm stocking up and getting ready. You know, uh, hopefully, yeah, let's watch some football and talk some football here uh, on a nice, nice snowy afternoon. Yeah, we were talking, like, not that long ago, a couple weeks ago, that where's winter? Like, we haven't seen any winter. Like, there's been no snow, and now we're getting... This insane storm, it's like we're going to have wind chills, like what, like under minus 10. Yeah, and I mean, I know like even the Midwest, like I have a buddy in uh, like Missouri and it's going to be like 40 or negative 45, they said. So um, that's just, that's going to be crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. If you guys um, missed last week's episode, we discussed the eight senior bowl quarterbacks. Um, so if you missed that one, definitely check that out. Today, we're going to be talking about Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. Parker, let's start with Kyler, um, the Heisman Trophy winner. He, well, we'll assume that he's going to step away from baseball for a little bit. I guess he could still report whenever the A's report. But um, I just wanted to get your take on him entering the NFL draft first before we get into like his film. Yeah, sure. And this is a, this is a great time to plug. Um, I believe his name is Justice Mosqueda. He's on Twitter. Um, it's J-U-M-O-S-Q, I believe it is. Um, if you search him and Kyler Murray, he has a great article where he breaks down the finances. And he says, you know, everyone's argument is that um, baseball money versus football money, easy decision, right? And it, Like on the surface, yeah. But his argument is baseball money is – or NFL money is different when you're a quarterback. Like, there's quarterback money, and then there's NFL money. And um, he basically broke down that um, if you're if he's just, like, a, a low-end starter to a high-end backup, he would actually get paid as about, like, a top-20 outfielder in the MLB. That's about where your career earnings work out to. You know, everyone points to the Jeff Samarja thing, and yes, Jeff Samarja made, you know, oodles and oodles more than, a, you know, your average wide receiver, but your average quarterback makes so much more than your average wide receiver that it's actually, um, most quarterbacks do make pretty good player, you know, baseball player money. You know, uh, guys like uh, Aaron Rodgers are making, you know, $25 million per year, upwards of that. You know, Kirk Cousins, I think, is close to $30 million per year. So, like, that's, that's some serious money. That is better than, like I said, top baseball money. So, um, if he also did the math and he showed if you're a top 20 pick, just based on the guarantees um, of being a top 20 pick in the NFL because you have five years of um, pretty fully guaranteed cash. It's just you can't negotiate what you're going to get. Whereas in the MLB, he could move up the system and negotiate what he wants to get. But um, if he's just an, a, um, a minor league player, he's not going to get, you know, he he would the guaranteed money that he signed for being a top 10 pick would not be as much as he's going to make over the next five years of being an NFL player. So actually, monetarily, it's not as crazy of a decision as some people think. Like I said, with the, with the um, idea of if he goes in the top 20 and gets that type of money, because one that comes with a long enough leash where he's going to get, you know, starter reps at some point in his career. Um, two, it's going to come with the guaranteed money. And with that longer leash, you have the ability to extend that into a second contract where, you know, if he's a third round pick and he's only getting four years of third round pick guaranteed money, and then he doesn't get the chance to showcase his skills and get a second contract. Yeah. Then you're probably thinking maybe baseball is the better option, but if he's going to be, and like, we're going to talk about it. Um, it probably sounds like, um, we all know his flaws, um, but it sounds like he's going to be a first round pick. Um, if that's, if that's the scenario, then, um, then yeah, it actually does make sense monetarily. Yeah, if he's um, 
if he's a first-round NFL draft pick, a minimum he's looking at four years, like $10 million deal with a $5 million signing bonus, like roughly off the projections of each uh, pick slot. Right. Um, yeah, because first-round players are guaranteed for four years. But if he's top 10, I think it's like $17 million with an $11 million signing bonus. And I think his buzz alone, I think, I mean, Manziel like went probably before he should have. And I think Kyler's definitely more polished as a passer than he is. Um, but what did you see whenever you ended up breaking down this film? That's actually funny that you brought up Johnny Manziel because uh, he's probably the best comparison in my opinion. Uh, you could listen to the Senior Bowl um, podcast because I kind of break down where my comparisons are not like the end all be all. Like it's just like a small little thing where I'm comparing them. But um, and I'm you know definitely putting an asterisk beside Kyler Murray saying that um, you know the big deal with Johnny Manziel. And I was actually um, somewhat higher than Johnny Manziel than most people. I think I had Teddy Bridgewater as the top quarterback that year, but I had Johnny number two um, ahead of Derek Carr and Blake Bortles. Honestly, so um, that's honestly where I stood with him. But the exception with Johnny Manziel was. His personality, like, he has alcoholic traits or, you know, he has um, issues, you know, off of the field that really, in my opinion, um, you know, also going into Cleveland and the organization and being with Josh Gordon. I'm not saying Josh Gordon, you know, drug him down. I think that those two being together on an organization where nobody was going to keep them in line helped the two of them. The fact that these guys had issues and were going to probably go down this path no matter what. But I don't think Cleveland had any, you know, bearing of helping them. So, um the big difference between Kyler Murray and Johnny Manziel is that, you know, um, I think, Kyle, you know, Kyler Murray's a sober kid. He's, you know, this athlete who could be, a, like I said, a potential top 10 outfielder in the MLB at that point as well. Um, it seems like he has, you know, mentally he's m- much more put together than Johnny Manziel was coming out. I think that's a big difference in that regard. Um and, you know, the baseball talk, I think it's just, like I said, I think it's fair to say that he's entering the NFL draft. He has the chance to make more money as an NFL quarterback. Um, a great example, like you said, with the first round money, not only that, but second contracts, Mike Glennon makes $16 million last year. Yeah. Mike Glennon. So, like, he just has to have a Mike Glennon type of career. Well, in that deal that, uh, who was it, uh, the deal that Castle got from his one year in New England. Absolutely. There's, I mean, there's so many examples. He just has to have that type of career. Like he has to just like, like I said, not be Johnny Manziel where you're, you know, partying and to the point where, you know, you're actually affecting your career or your life really, you know, more than your career, your actual life. Um, so as long as he's not doing that, I think he'll be committed. I don't really, that those aren't questions in my opinion, honestly, as far as how committed he is. Um, well, obviously the first weakness is his height. You know, there's, um, the thing with his height is, uh, like, you can knock it for sure, but there's also, like, there's no proof, there's no proof that there's been a good quarterback, but there's no proof that he can't do it either, you know? And everyone says, oh, the offensive lineman, like, he has five Oklahoma offensive linemen they are probably going to go to the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, he can already see over the offensive linemen. I definitely understand um, bigger, faster, stronger defensive players coming in his face, um, you know, tipping the football, everything like that, but... Um, the other argument against that is that the NFL has, you know, spread out a lot more. Um, the middle of the field is so much more wide open than it ever has been. You know, quarterbacks are getting a lot of penalty calls when they're getting hit like that. So, um, you know, pass rushers have to watch how they hit players. And when you have a small player like him, all of a sudden, you know, he's breaking free because, you know, you don't even necessarily know how to tackle him. So there is, you, you know, there are counters to the height issue. Um, I think the bigger issue is his weight. 
Um, and that's why everyone keeps bringing up Russell Wilson as a comparison. And I don't think it's necessarily fair because Wilson was actually really big. Um, I was a, I was much more higher on Wilson than the NFL was. And that's because I said, like, this dude is built. I don't care about how short he is. He's built, so he's going to be able to take the hits. With Kyler Murray, you'd think that he's more elusive than Russell Wilson, but he's not built like Russell Wilson. And that's, I think, my biggest fear and the biggest question heading into him for the Combine. We're recording this before the Combine. But the biggest question is going to be his weight, in my opinion, and how big he is in terms of his weight. Um, the arm strength, you don't question that whatsoever. Um, he might have the best arm. I mean, Drew Locke has a cannon. But he is probably the best arm, um, especially in terms of just, like, naturally throwing the football. Um, he's an outfielder, you know? Like, he can naturally throw something far. And, you know, it makes sense that he could do that. And he can do it accurately, you know? He could probably go from right field to third base, you know, on a pretty good on a pretty good trajectory. Um, he can throw the deep ball, and he can lead his receivers down the field with touch and precision. And that's where um, a lot of the Russell Wilson comparisons actually are apt, in my opinion is that he can, you know, throw the football all over the field. Like, um, I wouldn't say his arms, you know, it's not like elite, but it's, it's definitely good enough for sure. And the ability to have the accuracy and anticipation down the field and really just like those bucket throws, he can really just drop those bucket throws in there. Um, that's where you're intrigued by this kid. Um, and the, obviously the mobility and the athleticism, um, he can throw on the run, you know, it's like Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes, his dad was obviously a relief pitcher and Mahomes could have made the MLB as a baseball player as well. But, um, you know, it was obviously a top 10 pick because he's big and, you know, there's no questions like Kyler Murray with Mahomes, but they, you know, Mahomes has those off platform throws. And I said on the um, podcast in the senior bowl, you know, one of the big things with Mahomes is yes, so, sometimes they look ugly. But he gets away with it because he actually, you know, his body is so used to throwing that way. You know, the shortstop, the sidearm throws, you guys have seen it. You know, it looks like his arm's a whip, you know, just like a relief pitcher, just like his dad, you know. Um, Kyler Murray has the same type of ability to throw those off-platform throws. Um, you would say his arm, like Patrick Mahomes' arm is just like ridiculous. Um, like I said, because his arm is just good, he can't get away with every single ridiculous throw like that. But the ability to move around into... Um, just throw, yeah, be able to put enough velocity and, like I said, be able to put enough behind your, you know, like I said, with your arm, um, the motion of his arm to really, he like, he's comfortable throwing in that regard. So um, that's where he's pretty impressive. The big question with him is going to be, um, aside from his height in terms of a football player, is going to be his footwork, um, especially in the pocket. And that's where it's like another kind of Mahomes situation where, um, like I said, he can't necessarily make all the throws that Mahomes can. And he's just so... He's so prone to opening up his shoulders and just like, you know, kind of just like throwing it like a, a baseball player on the run type of situation. You know, he, his footwork is really a mess. He doesn't, he's, with how good his offensive line is in Oklahoma, he still felt the need to move out of the pocket, you know, whereas there were probably situations where he could have just stood in there and he, listen, he had no issues standing in the, standing in the pocket, stepping up and delivering deep down the football field. But like I said, it just feels like his intentions are, um, like I said, to kind of square his shoulders, to kind of move around, you know, to kind of move around like a video game almost and just like make plays out of structure. Um, it's, it's a good, it's a good trait. But then, like I said, I kind of question moving to the NFL. Um, how often can you get away with this? Um, once pass rushers start to understand and if they can contain him into the pocket and he does, and he has those footwork issues, um, he's just going to get swallowed up in the pocket. And that's where you say, you know, big guy standing around him. He's never going to have a chance. Um, that situation. So 
that and that's another thing where I think um, Baker was a lot more refined than uh, him. You know, comparing his his footwork in the pocket, and that's where I think the Johnny Manziel comparison is pretty good. Is you know just how frantic he was, um, especially with the, with his feet in the pocket. And Johnny, you know, he loved to get out of the pocket. Uh, he just you know he was just like dying to get out of there and make a play. Um, he was able to do it a lot in college. And then you saw in the NFL that you know all of a sudden it's a step faster than you know it was back in the day. And all of a sudden, I think it was a game against Cincinnati where he's just you know they're just undercutting all of his throws, and it's just like yeah he's not getting away with it. Um, this is where I kind of said, can Kyler Murray put in the work? and, you know, refine his feet a little bit more? Yes, he can. I thought Johnny Manziel could, you know, and you could argue that he could have, but um, I think that Kyler Murray has the ability or the, you know, want to. He's grown so much as a player in that regard, so it's definitely possible. That's where, you know, Kyler Murray could be the top quarterback in this draft, and you could say, you know, I think we compared the quarterback classes um, in the Senior Bowl podcast saying that, well, last year, Kyler Murray wouldn't be the top quarterback in this class, but then you look around, and you know, we're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins in just a second, too, but um, I think the ability to push the football down the field, to play out of structure, um, to, you know, to just get out and be athletic and have a, you know, cannon arm, that's, that, those are two pretty good, you know, traits to have together, and he has that gamer mentality, and I think, um, I think he's, he's, at least good enough mentally to where um, he'll be fine. I really just think, you know, his big issues are his footwork in the pocket. Um, the the offense was extremely easy for him and his size, obviously. But because he has some of these appealing traits, somebody's going to, you know, jump all over him. I think my, my big stance at the end of the day was that um, if it was my job, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I just don't think I could do it, in the fir- especially in the first round. Um, I just don't think I could because it would be hard, you know, to take the five nine kid and get fired because you drafted the five nine. Or I think he's going to come in at close to five ten, maybe. But it would just be hard, to, you know, to draft a controversial player like that who, you know, has these. You know, he's not fully refined as a passer. He's going to make mistakes in the NFL. There's just no doubt about it. It's just like I said. Can you trust a player who's, you know, grown so much as an athlete two sports to when he's getting paid millions of dollars to refine himself in one sport? Um, is he going to, you know, put in the time? I think he's going to put in the time. It's just, is it, is it going to pay off for him? Um, he's still pretty raw in that regard. And that's where, like I said, it, it wouldn't, you know, it'd be tough for me if my job was on the line to do it. I definitely understand why someone's going to do it because if it hits off, you look like the genius, you look like the risk taker, you look like, you know, the smartest guy in the room and teams are so desperate for a quarterback that you're kind of looking at Drew Locke and you're saying, let's take a, you know, let's take a shot on the short guy. <laughs> you know, that's where, you know, if, uh, if you were saying, Parker, you know, I don't care. You're not going to get fired. You have to take a quarterback in the first round. Who's it going to be? It might be Kyler Murray. Yeah, I also like, uh, you sent me a tweet earlier from Lance Zierlein, and I'll read it. Uh, Before you slander, Kyler Murray is an early first rounder. Please play a game with me. It's called Kidnapped Mom. Your mom is being held in an undisclosed location. The only way to free her is to pick a 2019 quarterback to win one game. I promise you that your mom wants to you to take Kyler Murray. Yeah, and that's a that's how I feel honestly. Like if if my mom or my situation was on the line, I'd be just like whispering, you know, like take Kyler. You know, he's the gamer. He'll be able to drop a bomb or two. You know, if you can manage him and figure it out, you know, you could pull this thing off. It's in the realm of possibilities. It's just you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's just like playing the one game, right? You know, compared to a whole career, exactly. And you know, um, some people have the situation of. 
Um, let's play the, you know, there's better quarterbacks next year and hope we, you know, the cards fall in the right place. Um, and you know, oh, X player is so good. You know, that's, that would probably be me saying, yeah, we need a quarterback, but you know, Nick Foles an X player, you know, it's like something that I'd probably be saying, you know, just as a bridge. But, um, like I said, if, if your owner is coming down and saying, no, we're not messing around, we're taking a quarterback. Um, he's, he's right in there. You could definitely argue it. Yeah, and um, the other guy we want to get into um, from Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins Jr., um, definitely different height and weight, um, but he also has a pretty good arm. What did you see from him whenever you watched him? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because from a height and weight perspective, you're thinking like Dwayne Haskins um, would play similarly to Kyler Murray. But um, it's really, you know, Kyler Murray um, plays, uh, he plays like he has that big arm and he plays like he has that size that Haskins does. Haskins plays a little bit more like, uh, I, I compare him to like a point guard or like he's, he's a lot more in structure. Um, and I think it comes back to um, an Urban Meyer offense. It's pretty simplistic. And I actually, in a roundabout way, I think the best comparison that I have for him right now is um, Alex Smith, another Urban Smith quarterback. And it just comes down to, like I said, playing in structure, being a point guard, getting the football out, you know, making all the right decisions when it's, you know, quick timing, everything like that. Um, that's where he does, he does excel. Um, I think he could throw with, you know, some anticipation in the intermediate, you know, you get some crossers going and he can make the right decisions in that regard. Um, I know a lot of people like his pre-snap diagnosis, everything like that, you know, it sounded like an Alex Smith guy, but then like you said, he has the height and the weight and he has a pretty big arm. It's just you don't see, necessarily see it, especially on tape. Um, he doesn't, like I said, how Kyler Murray can hit those bucket throws deep down the field and he can throw with touch and anticipation. There are a few where you get that with Haskins, but he's he's erratic deep down the football field. Um, like anything over 10 yards, it just starts to get questionable with him. Um, his accuracy really starts to wane when it's over 10 yards down the football field. Like I said, he has a few where, it's re- where it really helps him. Um, another big-time comparison has been Mitchell Trubisky. Um, because, you know, they both have like 13 starts in college, and that's where he's really raw. Um, and, you know, uh, I know Haskins has better stats, slight, only like it's not much better stats than Trubisky, actually. But then you kind of think about it, and um, Ohio State and how many athletes they have in their offense, you know, you probably would say that statistically they're almost pretty similarly through, you know, their first 13 games. Um, I think Trubisky has a better, um, has some more touch deep down the football field. But I think their biggest comparison comes with how the two work the pocket. Um, Haskins just, like I said, he's great when it's in structure and when it's timing-based and when it's rhythm-based and when he's getting the football out of his hands quickly. Um, Like I said, you know, you could do it like Alex Smith, but um, at the end of the day, when it breaks down or, you know, when there's a blitz that he didn't necessarily pick up or when really anything happens after the snap that he didn't think was going to happen before the snap... He panics. Like he just he gets so worried about it, and um, he has sometimes he has the athleticism, and he definitely has the arm strength in the college realm. Where you know, if he panics, and if he you know um, that this is where his footwork starts to really become an issue. You know, if his footwork starts to become an issue, um, he can use his arm strength, and he can use that anticipation of leading receivers. Um, at some points, he can make completions, especially in the quick game. But that's where, especially deep down the football field, it, it becomes a big time issue. Um, or, or like I said, it just becomes hit and miss, really. And you just don't know what you're going to get when Haskins unloads it down the football field. Um, it could honestly, you know, it could be right on the dime or it could be like 15 yards over somebody's head. Um, and I think because of that, um, and because he's so smart, you know, similarly to Alex Smith, he can 
always kind of expect what he's going to see. Um, he has a propensity to check down, I think. And like I said, that's where I think it comes back to having those athletes around him and having just so much talent where it's it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's easy for him, but it is easy for him to, you know, step up, diagnose, know what he's going to do before the snap, and then just execute it beyond the snap. And when you have all the athletes around you, yeah, maybe you missed a, you know, a pass here. Maybe it was a touch late there, you know, but these guys are going to haul it in and they're going to put up big time yards after the catch. And it's going to look pretty on the stat sheet and everything like that. But, um... I honestly think that you know when the play breaks down, he just gets really, really erratic and really wild. So that's where it becomes tough to trust him. Um, and that's where I think he's like an Alex Smith player because when everything's on schedule, he can he can play in the NFL. And that's you know um, everyone keeps saying that a, the Giants would be a good fit, and that definitely makes sense because you know when you have a guy like Odell who can take a slant to the house, when you have a guy like Ingram who can leap and go get it, and when you have a check down in Saquon Barkley. Like, you just need, what do you need? A point guard who can, you know, just distribute the football around, get everybody their touches, get everybody happy, and, you know, don't make, like, the crucial game-killing mistake. That's Dwayne Haskins in, in a nutshell right there. That's what he's doing, um, and that's what he can do in the NFL. You're just saying, you're walking away from that saying, what's the ceiling? You know, Alex Smith, can, you know, can you take us to a Super Bowl? When it's the NFC title game and that receiver, you know, Odell's getting jammed and you might have to throw it to him, but, you know, he's not really open, are you going to unload that? You know, are you going to throw the ball or are you going to check down and all of a sudden, you know, it's third and ten and you're checking down and it's, you know, fourth down type of situation. Um, I think, like I said, Haskins is a great processor. It's just I don't necessarily trust him down the field pushing the football consistently. I really don't trust him under pressure or when the play breaks down because that's where he's just, he's doing whatever he, you know, whatever comes to his mind in that split second, you know. Um, and like I said, he's winning off of athleticism. He's winning off of some of the natural traits that he has, um, similar to Trubisky. But at the end of the day, you know, you still got to see a lot of growth. You still got to understand that this dude's so raw. And, you know, you, I wish you could just say more, you know, when there was, when the play breaks down, but, um, you I saw situations where he's ran into linemen just like straight up has, you know, up pressures off the backside, you know, I'm going to run to the, you know, to the uh, free space. All of a sudden he's running into his own lineman. You know, th those are situations, um, you know, you see, like I said, the accuracy really starts to go. So, um. That's about it with him. You love his size, um, and you love the the potential to um, grow as a player. It's just you also have to question his ceiling because of, you know, I think his ideal situation is to check down and be that point guard and distribute it. But um, I don't think you necessarily saw enough, I guess, out of structure for him. Yeah, I really like that uh, Chubisky comparison because even with Murray as well, like you only got those thirteen games from them, so. Like, you get the one year, and it's kind of risky to, you know, draft him in the NFL, and, like, now he has to figure things out as a professional. Like, he doesn't get that, you know, two-, three-year starter. Yeah, absolutely, and it was, you know, when Trubisky was doing it, um, he was, like, one of the first, you know, times that it was like, whoa, like, this is unheard of, you know, this guy with this many starts. And, you know, when I was watching Haskins and watching how he deals with the pressure, I was thinking, you know, this is just what Trubisky was doing, you know, especially with his feet, especially in panic time. But, um, yeah, then you start to look into some of their stats. It actually is pretty similar. And, you know, Trubisky took some big-time steps this season, and he had the coaching, and he had the infrastructure, and he had the situation where, like I said, he's playing point guard, and he's just spreading it around to everybody, and it's working. But um, in the playoffs when the pressure came, you know, I think Trubisky took a big step, and I know it's not a Trubisky podcast, but... I honestly, you know, that's the thing with Haskins is he's got to get on the field 
immediately because he needs, you know, all the reps, all the reps, all the reps. But when he's on the field, he's still going to be so raw that you're going to get annoyed with him. And, you know, I cover the Chicago Bears for Bear Goggles on. And uh, Trubisky, like every week, there's a new narrative about Trubisky. Like, oh, he's a Super Bowl winner versus, oh, he's a bust. There's no doubt about it. You know, every single week, it's like one way or the other because he's taking steps and he's taking lumps. That's that's honestly what you are going to get with a guy like Dwayne Haskins. Um Especially, like I said, when he's so out of structure and, you know, it's it's nice when you have, you know, an, you know, this perfect offense and you have the best athletes in the Big Ten and you have the best coaching and everything like that. Um, yeah, it's just when the play breaks down, how much is he going to be able to pick up his team? You know, so that's where I think it's like an Alex Smith type of comparison um, for, you know, like I said, he can take a team so far, but he'll need, you know, I don't necessarily know if he can pick them up and, you know, lead them the entire way. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I do really like that comparison, so I don't care how much you talk about Trubisky. But um, if you had to pick, I know like scheme and all that really matters, but if you had to pick one, either Kyler or Haskins, which do you think you would lean towards? I personally would say Kyler because um, kind of like you said with the, if you have one player to win a game, um, I just feel like in those pressure situations, Kyler Murray would have, you know, what it takes to make that big-time throw over the middle and, you know, hit his guy to kind of change the game. Um, whereas Haskins, I, I just think, you know, he has the propensity. Like I said, he can manage it when everything's working and when it's all flowing together. But, like, when it's not the perfect situation, it gets a little bit tougher for him. So um, I would lean, uh, you know, you really say, like, if you had, um, like, Murray's mentality in Haskins' body, then you're like, okay, this is the perfect quarterback. It's just, yeah, you have Haskins' body. You have, a, um, I think in my opinion, it's a lot more um, mental issues, um, especially, you know, like I said, Murray has his questions, especially in terms, I think they both have, one, arguably their biggest issue, both of them, is their ability, their footwork in the pocket. Um, both of them just really don't have it, but I really think that Murray is more natural in terms of being able to throw that, and like I said, I think the baseball has a little bit, uh, you know, to do with it, and um, yeah, I, I just saw more from him pushing the football down the field um, than I saw from Haskins, and I saw a lot of, um, while Murray's footwork was bad, I think, I feel like he understood where he was within the structure of the pocket, whereas Haskins, like I said, when it breaks down, he's kind of like free-for-all, scrambling around, you know, let me just try and figure it out, where I really feel like it didn't, you know, it's not necessarily pretty with Murray, but he's moving around and making making it happen for the most part. Um, and listen, Haskins, you know, Haskins had like 50 touchdowns too. Like, I'm not diminishing Haskins, but I'm saying as a pro player, that's really how, that's where I see like the big difference between the two. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is tough and they're probably, um, I really did start to, um, as we were talking before the show, was saying, you know, these are probably easily, you know, one and two in terms of this quarterback class, and they're probably going to go one and two because, like I said, I think someone's going to take that chance on Murray. Um, yeah, I really think that, you know, Murray has Murray has more physical limitations potentially, but um, he has the ability to carry a team. I think Haskins is better in structure, but and he has the size and everything, but I don't think, you know, when it's on the line, he can go above and beyond when needed. So that's kind of where it is. Is there anything else you want to um, add about quarterbacks, either from Senior Bowl or on these two, before we kind of segue into our next episode? Yeah, we could just talk, you know, based on some of the Senior Bowl impressions. Um, I talked about how I thought Daniel Jones 
um, was a player who could, you know, propel himself from the first to the third. It sounds like, you know, he won the MVP, but it sounds like he had a pretty rough week. Um, he was fumbling some snaps. He threw some bad interceptions. Uh, there was a situation where I guess it was like seven on seven, and it's just like a straight passing drill, and he actually tucked the ball and ran. So, um, and, you know, it's one thing, like I said, um, there's some... Uh, they're going to throw everything at them during that week and they're going to see how they respond. So I guess my thing is just like, um, I think you learn that Daniel Jones has a ways to go still um, to make it in the NFL. And that's where I think you kind of say, well, these two are younger. These two are a lo- more dynamic overall, probably. Um, Jones is similar athletically than I, w- I would say to Haskins. But um, at the end of the day, I think you would say that Haskins, because he's younger, because he's you know shown that he can work within the structure a little bit more, I think you would put Haskins over Daniel Jones. So um, I think that was a big takeaway I had. Um, I think we talked about it with Will Greer. Um, the big issues with him were, you know, taking snaps under center, being in within the timing of that five-step drop. And, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people did walk away saying, um, questioning the arm strength a little bit. Like I said, I think the ability to throw with it, touch and anticipation 10 to 15 yards is good enough to where um, spot starter, um, you know, like I said, could be in that Case Keenum realm of a player. But um, I don't think he necessarily showed anything above and beyond that that's kind of what he is as a a quarterback. So um, there was that one. Uh, Drew Locke apparently came away as, you know, the winner of the week. Um, It sounds like everyone thinks he's going to go to Denver uh, because John Elway is just drooling all over him. And, you know, it makes sense because that's exactly what John Elway would like from a quarterback, you know, big arm. And he uh, he won uh, all the press conferences. And, you know, I don't necessarily care too much about this stuff. Um, and that's probably why, um, like I said earlier in the podcast, I missed on Johnny because I, I didn't really factor that in too much. I just kind of factored in what he was doing on the field. But um, he did, uh, Locke definitely won the press conferences and he said all the right things. And he talked about how, you know, he kind of has to reel himself in as a quarterback. And, you know, everyone wanted to hear that. And, you know, arm talent wise, I think, he stood out compared to everybody else, you know, especially, like I said, a guy like Will Greer, I think you really walked away saying Locke's the best guy. Um, still, me, I don't I don't buy it, you know, especially with his processing regards. You can listen to my expanded thoughts on uh, that podcast. I would still, because I like Will Greer within structure, um, I would still, I would put Will Greer slightly ahead of Drew Locke. Um, and then I think Daniel Jones is like, he's right there, probably... Um, Maybe even behind uh, Drew Locke, but he's right there. I still would go Greer over Locke, and uh, like I said, Murray and Haskins over all of them. Um, Stidham had a better week um, than you know a lot of people were saying. And I was saying you know he could have went from a third round guy to an undrafted guy or you know a seventh round guy. I think he's going to be like a third or fourth round guy because he had a really good week, um, and like you kind of said, just showed that last year was a little bit more of an anomaly. So um, I, I probably won't get too too far into Stidham unless like more buzz comes, but. Stidham had a good week. Minshew kind of showed everything that um, I said. You know, when he's playing out of structure, he doesn't really have the arm strength. So he's going to go in, like, you know, the fourth round, fifth round. But like I said, he's going to be a backup forever, in my opinion. So um, he's that in that regard. Ryan Finley, I don't think, did anything for his stock. So he kind of is what I thought he is. He's going to be a backup for a really long time, too. Um, and Trace McSorley, I think, I think a lot of people were actually impressed with Trace McSorley. But um, I still walk away saying he's like seventh round at best and he'll have a good career um, somewhere, you know, in, in like the XFL maybe. So I think that that, that, that wraps up. Um, I don't think I missed anybody, did I? Oh, Tyree Jackson. Uh, Tyree Jackson did really well um, processing mentally, showed it really well mentally. But it's still the same things I question. You know, he's growing into his body. 
He's not necessarily proportioned well, and he throws, you know, those rockets within the short passes, so he doesn't have touch or understanding, but um, I think someone showed he had a really good play where he looked off a of safety. Um, so, yeah, I think that'll do it. I think he's the biggest wild card in this quarterback class, Tyree Jackson. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, big clicks for him. I mean, the playing, you know, against Mac players is a little different, but, like, with his, with his arm, like, if it clicks for him, and like you said, they're processing, and he can he can hone in. You know, not every single throw is a fastball. Um, yeah, I think that he's the biggest wild card. But you think for him, probably what, like third, fourth? Um, probably because he had a good week, and I think the combine will be huge for him because um, those are kind of drills where he's just, he's going to have to drop back, and you know he's going to have to play within structure, and he's just going to have to throw the ball. You know where they want him to throw the ball. So I really think that, you know, where some people, you know, I don't really take the combine too too much for quarterbacks, but that's going to be a huge one for him. And like I said, man, you know, for how confident I am that Gardner Minshew will be a backup, like like you said with Tyree Jackson, like it's so volatile. Could he be a starter? Yeah, definitely. Could he be out of the NFL within three years? Absolutely. Um, That's where like Gardner has, you know, such a small range of outcomes that like I can pretty much understand what he is. Um, Tyree Jackson's tough. Yeah, and we also um, we can kind of segue now into um, running backs and just like your thoughts on why people are kind of saying you know, like oh, like they're devalued. We actually had a good like look into that this year with the Steelers. You know, James Conner and Jalen Samuels. But you kind of want to talk about um, running backs, and we'll get into them uh, on our next pod. Yeah, this is a good point for um, we're going to reference this because we're going to probably talk about like at least ten like maybe 20 running backs um, in the draft season over the next couple weeks. So I'm going to reference this podcast a couple of times. So you're going to probably at some point going to want to come back and listen to it. And, you know, it's like you said, it's the James Conner, Le'Veon Bell thing. It's the Todd Gurley to CJ Anderson. You know, uh, it's the debate of, you know, Saquon Barkley or Sam Darnold even, you know, all these interesting debates. And since it's a good Uh, or since this is a draft podcast, I guess that would be the first place to start is that um, I personally, like, um, if you have listened to, you know, my, uh, our gambling podcast, or even from, you know, these couple of podcasts, I'm an old school, you know, football guy. I'm a, you know, grinding film type of person. I like to, like I said, I'm a visual learner. Like, you can show me all the numbers in the world. Like, I don't care unless I see it. That's just, that's just how I'm going to be forever and always. And I, like I said, I've made enough um, I've had enough success that that's going to be the way that I'm going to do this thing. But um, I also understand that all these analytics people and you know all these you know quote unquote nerds are coming out and claiming that running backs don't matter and they're claiming that you know even the running game doesn't matter and they're claiming that you know Saquon Barkley was a terrible decision and like some of these things I agree with and I think you know some of these things are the nerds' version of like a hot take you know to get themselves out there you know like. Um, and they even, most of them preface it by saying, it's not that the running game doesn't matter. It's that the big thing is that we've been taught like forever, you know, from the 1900s that like, how do you, how do you win football games? You run the ball and you stop the run. Like that's what people are programmed in their brains to do. Right. And that's what coaches like from the very start, because, you know, kids aren't throwing in midget football and everything like that. So the very, the first thing you're taught is to learn run keys, like from the very, you know, from age eight all the way through high school. Like they're pounding run keys, run keys, run keys into your brain. So now all of a sudden, because there's these high school camps and there's seven on sevens and quarterbacks are developing, 
you know, at an insane rate, um, or, you know, not even an insane rate, but there's enough kids with good arm talent who have been developed enough, and there's enough probably offensive um, understanding, I guess, to spread the football out and to make life easier for your quarterback. Um, there's enough of that out there that throwing the football has now become, you know, such a potent thing in today's NFL. Like, we know how the modern NFL has grown, right? So um, that makes throwing the football more valuable than running the football. Yes, you know, a 20-yard pass down the field... Well, even with it having, you know, the low propensity of, uh, that's a 20-yard pass, that's a tough pass. If the hit rate of that, when you hit that, that's better than a three-yard run, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you hit one 20-yard pass, how many three-yard runs do you need to make up the, you know, low, low-risk percentages? They do the math for me, you know, I don't have to do the math, but the math says that passing the football at this point is more valuable than running the football. And then you combine the idea that there, these people have these run keys in their mind, and that's what makes play action so valuable, is that, um, and that's what these people are showing, that you don't even necessarily have to establish the run to have play action. And I've talked about this on one of the podcasts, that um, what the, Bear, the Bears did it to the Rams, was that they just said, okay, that's true, that like we we are naturally like taught from a young age to respect the run on play action, like no matter what. So we're going to respect the run and whether you're, you know, you could have zero rushes for zero yards and you could run play action and those linebackers are still going to creep up. Yes, that's true. Unless you're coached to not do it, you know, and like, I know that it's like, you know, 30 years of learning this versus, you know, one week of, Hey, don't, don't fall for play action this week. Like I understand it's going to take time, but at the end of the day, you can coach players not to fall for play action. Um, and that's where I do believe in, you know, I do believe you have to run the football. I think the New England Patriots making the Super Bowl is a testament that, like, you have to run the football and you have to be able to defend the run still in today's NFL, even with the passing and everything like that and all these, you know, the stats are right and everything. Oh, the best offenses are making the Super Bowl. Well, also, the Patriots were one of the better defenses and what they've done to their defense over the past couple weeks and their ability to turn to a team that runs the football and defends the run, their ability to do that over the last month of the season is actually what has propelled them into the Super Bowl. So, like, that's it's still a valuable part of the NFL. And that's where um, I kind of compare what the uh, Patriots were doing to, um, you know, when Steph Curry's in the NF or the NBA and everybody's shooting threes now and everybody's looking for three pointers and we're spreading the ball out. And then Greg Popovich goes out and signs Lamarcus Aldridge and pairs him with Tim Duncan. I know that um, that obviously didn't work out because Kawhi Leonard got hurt in that. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow the NBA, uh, the Spurs were really beating Golden State pretty bad in game one, and then Kawhi Leonard got hurt. But that was his thing was like, okay, if everybody's going to spread him out, I'm going to go big. You know, so it's like, it's the ebb and flow. Oh, everybody's going to... Right, everybody's doing run keys, I'm going to, we're going to run play action. That's what Sean McVay's saying. Well, Belichick's saying, oh, you know, Mahomes is this, you know, oh, spread him out, everything like that. Well, we're going to shut down the run and we're going to run the football all over them. And they're, you know, they're not going to be able to have enough. So um, that's where, like you said, it's the zig and the zag. And that's where um, I do believe in running the football. I also believe that running backs are extremely devalued. Why is that? Because a guy, like, it's not that C.J. Anderson stinks. It's not that James Conner stinks. It's like, it's the, like, all these players are really good. That's the issue. The replacement level is just a lot higher. Exactly. And this is, this comes down to, like, I guess somewhat of a societal thing because, Running backs from, or like people from a young age are taught that running backs are the stars. You know, if you want to be rich and famous in the NFL, you want to be a running back. You know, those are the big names. Those are the top picks in fantasy football. Those are the funnest guys to play with in Madden. You know, like from a young age, you want to be a running back. So what does that mean? 
everybody wants to be a running back. So, like, there are some good running backs in the NFL. But there are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of good running backs in this world. And that's why, like, yes, Saquon Barkley sets himself apart from everybody else. But, like, you're not going to find another, um, you know, I don't know the best example. You're not going to find many Roquan Smiths. You know, you're not going to find a guy as, as fast and the ability to cover like him and the ability to hit like him. And, like, you're, not, you're just not going to find that nearly as much as you're going to find a guy like Saquon Barkley. Um, and that's where I think... The other thing is positional value. Um, and like I said, I think James Conner is really talented. Yes, he's not as good as um, Le'Veon Bell, but he's good enough to the point where if you have a better pass rusher, if you have a better, you know, cornerback, or if you have a better quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, you can get away with it, you know, whereas other teams maybe can't. And that's where um, I'm going to talk about positional value real quick because um, the other thing is draft slots ever since the CBA – Draft slots, you don't negotiate your contract. You get what whatever number you are picked, that's the money that you get. Oh, you're the number one pick, you're assigned the number one draft slot. So what smart teams have understood is, you know, we can't pay rookie salary contracts. Like Saquon Barkley is like the second highest paid or like the third highest paid running back in the NFL now because running backs are so devalued that, you know, none of them are, none of them are signing for big money and he's making big money because he was the second pick in the draft. Um quarterbacks like I said are making you know up 25 to 30 million dollars Saquon Barkley making 10 million dollars compared to LaShawn McCoy making eight is completely different than Sam Darnold making 10 million dollars when Kirk Cousins is making 30 yeah, like that's that's the big difference and that's where running backs shouldn't really go in the top you know maybe in the, in the top round or like Saquon Barkley was a you know first round pick obviously but you it's so hard to justify taking a player like Saquon Barkley over a player like Sam Darnold because the positional value. You can't replace Sam Darnold with a guy off of the street. You could sign C.J. Anderson. And like I said, it's not that C.J. Anderson is bad, why C.J. Anderson's on the street. C.J. Anderson's on the street because there are so many talented running backs that it's hard for C.J. Anderson to get a shot. But C.J. Anderson is talented, and he showed that when he got the chance, he was able to flourish. Um, you know, if Eli Manning gets hurt, you know, they don't have a quarterback. They can't go to anybody at all. The Giants could call C.J. Anderson and know they're not going to get Saquon Barkley, but the, the gap between C.J. and Barkley is a lot smaller than the gap between Eli and whoever, or, you know, Darnold and whoever the next lowest quarterback is. And then when you factor in the money, it's really, it's, it's really tough to, you know, um, make the case for drafting running backs high. Um, like I said, I'll get into positional value. I think obviously the number one position to draft um, – at these prices, like I said, team smart teams are understanding that we're going to draft players, yes, but also positions. Like we need to draft premium players at premium positions at these top draft picks because the gap in salary gives us the chance to suffice the rest of the roster with mid-level players and fill the gap in salary. You know what I mean? So um, I think the biggest position is obviously quarterback. The number two position I would say is edge rusher, which is the ability to pressure the quarterback. And I think there's a, a strong argument coming right now that the second most important position is going to be interior defensive linemen, um, a guy like Aaron Donald over a guy like Khalil Mack, because the argument is that quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands quicker now with all this, you know, fast pace, um, 
offenses, everything like that. Like I said, people are understanding that this is how we can make life easier for a quarterback. So they're getting the ball out of their hands quicker now. It used to be that you know you get to the back of your five-step drop, and that's right where the edge rusher would be able to get around the left tackle and you know kind of meet him as he gets to that drop. And you can see strip sacks, everything like that. That's why those are extremely valuable. Also, the idea behind edge rushers being extremely valuable is you, they don't they just don't make edge rushers like they make C.J. Andersons, you know, or James Connors or Jalen Samuels or down the line. Like they're those people. It's not just the fact of playing the running back position. That's the fact of. They don't make people like that, you know. Edge rushers have to be about, I'd say, like 240 to 260, um, and they have to have extreme length, and they have to have the athleticism to get into the four-point stance, burst out of their stance, and then bend around the edge with speed. Um, at, at 250 pounds, they just don't make that many people like that. So that's where, at, at that point, that position, when you have the chance to take one, you have to take one. Like you cannot pass on an edge rusher in the top five. Like taking an edge or taking Saquon over an edge rusher. Saquon might be the best running back ever, but like you have to take the you know the decent edge rusher because there's like there's just you can't make that up. You really can't. So um, that's where I think um, edge rusher is slightly over interior rusher. But I understand that interior rusher because getting pressure up the middle now and now forcing quarterbacks who, like I said, you can make that quick three step drop and get the ball out of your hands on that third step. And that edge rusher really doesn't have an impact because nobody can get around an edge that quick. But interiorly, up the middle, if you're able to push the quarterback backwards, then you, one, can push him into a lesser edge rusher. You know, you don't need a guy to come in as fast if your defensive um, interior player is able to push him um, back in the pocket. And then, two, it would be, um, you know, just being able to, uh, you know, wreak havoc and get the ball out of his hands quicker, you know, um, within those three seconds. You can do it within just, you know, Aaron Donald can do it within one push, you know, one burst off of the ball, and he could knock a quarterback backwards, you know, potentially. So that's where those are extremely valuable. Obviously, the next most important position would be protecting the quarterback. Um, You typically would start with tackles because they just don't make them like that, you know. They don't make players that big who can, you know, take those sidesteps at that, you know, speed and that strength. Um, and hold their their balance like that um, against you know like I said edge rushers who are able to bend so much so the combination of size strength flexibility and balance um, they just don't make it like that that's why tackles are so valuable um, but I really do think guards because of the interior pressure now and because you want the quarterback to get the ball out of your hands quickly I think guards have become a much more valuable commodity in the NFL. And then there's centers because of the communication factor. You could argue that there are more centers, but you also, the big thing with centers is that you have to find like specific people intellectually, in my opinion. If you want to find like a really good center, you have to find somebody who can call out cadences, who can make plays, um, who can really communicate with the rest of the offensive line in any environment. So um, there is a rarity to centers, but I really, you know, you could argue that the offensive line is kind of the whole next tier in, in terms of, like I said, it's kind of passers. Um, pass rushers and then pass protectors, and then it's kind of pass catchers and pass defenders. You know, are the next type wide receivers and cornerbacks, and then it comes down to you know linebackers and running backs are just at the bottom of the barrel because um, one running the football is not necessarily doesn't lead to wins as much as passing the football. Um, two running backs are so replaceable that you would probably say linebackers are even more valuable than running backs. Um, but also linebackers, you know, you could find at least you know somebody who's who's big and can tackle. Yeah, that's what you need for a linebacker. Big, can tackle the run, everything like that. But um, 
that pretty much breaks it down for um, what we did. We ended up losing Steve, so we had some technical difficulties. But um, those are my big thoughts on running backs. And like I said, I'm going to probably direct people back here because I'm going to love like all of these running backs. And I'm going to think that most of these running backs could have a career in the NFL. But at the end of the day, um, you have to wonder how valuable they're going to be. You know, Saquon Barkley can do so much, but if the Patriots can get, you know, the Saquon Barkley production out of a combination of James White, Rex Burkhead, and Sonny Michelle, yes, you, you know, you'd rather have Saquon Barkley, but if you could put three players together at a much cheaper price and a much cheaper draft slot, and you could pull off the same production, um, that's where it becomes, you know, at least questionable. And that's where the running back debate, in my opinion, is, um, at least a worthy one, and that's where um, hopefully you guys got a little something out of this. Like I said, I'm Parker Hurley, at Parker Hurley, um, at TNF underscore um, pod. I forget the handle now, so uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Mm-hmm.